On today's show, we have Bobby Casey. Bobby is the Managing Director of Global Wealth Protection. He has helped many entrepreneurs to minimize taxes, protect assets, and most importantly, open the doors to a digital nomad lifestyle. Welcome to the Next Level Income Show, where it's our goal to raise your income, your investments, and your life to the next level. I'm your host, Chris Larson. You can get a free copy of our book at nextlevelincome.com. Just click on the book link. You are not going to want to miss today's show with Bobby Casey of Global Wealth Protection. Bobby's going to talk about the best countries in the world to live for asset protection, for taxes, what countries handled COVID situation the best, and where you want to live if you're looking to increase your after-tax income and your quality of life. Today's show is sponsored by Money Insights and their Investment Optimizer Strategy. In my book, I share how I use the same strategy starting over a decade ago to invest my money in two places at one time. This strategy has been used by the wealthiest for generations for estate planning, minimizing taxes, preserving wealth, and increasing stability for their investments. Now you can do the same thing. In addition, you can build a plan to build an emergency fund, pay for college, fund a business, plan for retirement, and ultimately optimize your total financial picture. To find out more information, check us out at the banking link at nextlevelincome.com. Bobby, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm surprised I got you in one place <laughs> in North Carolina here. Um, so we're actually yeah. in the same state for this recording because you, you've, been, you've been all over the world even during the pandemic, which I'd love to have you share more with the audience about that. But before we do, sure. I guess tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, Bobby, as well as your company, Global Wealth Protection, and really what you do. Okay. About myself. I like long walks on the beach, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, seriously, no, I'm, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. Um, I'm 47 years old. I've actually never had a professional job. The last any job I had, I was 19 years old. So of course, I didn't have a professional job when I was 18, 19 years old. I've always had my own businesses. I've started various businesses over the years. And really, what got me in the field I'm in now, and I'll get into that in a second, is actually growing up as the son and grandson of an entrepreneur. My grandpa and my uncle had a chain of restaurants when I was actually before I was born and he retired actually before I was born. And then my dad had a construction company and a real estate development company all through my, actually my whole life until he sold out. He sold the business some, I don't know, probably 25 years ago. And so growing up in that entrepreneurial household, for me, it was never kind of a thing to go get that corporate job. It was never even like a mindset that I had that that's what needs to happen. And so just saying, I'm fortunate I didn't have that. I mean, I think about people that like go that path and get the, you know, go through the education and get the corporate and all that stuff. And I think like, imagine like, I think about those people that get making 100, 150 or $200,000 a year in their 30s. They're like, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this. And I think that must be exceptionally difficult for somebody in that position. I did it. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, not to cut you off here, I'll let you pick back sure. up. But I'll tell you when you do that for, for, in my case, it was 18 years of being a professional in the medical device industry. I got to the number, I got to the financial piece, the passive income that I needed to get to. My CPA looked at me, he's like, what are you waiting for? You don't need to do this anymore. 
but it had become such a part of me. And I had, I had such anxiety to walk away. I took a trip down sure. the Grand Canyon three years ago. And my biggest source of anxiety wasn't, hey, you might die in the river, Chris, in the canyon in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it was, what are you going to do if you can't check your email? It's really crazy what it does to your brain. <laughs> well, I have the email too, but still. And I think like those people like you, like that must be like incredibly difficult thing to walk away from that career. I, like I said, I never had that because I never went in that path. And so I don't really understand what that feels like. And I was actually talking to my youngest son about this the other day. I've never had a steady paycheck ever, like ever my whole life. And so it's a completely different way of thinking about things. And so for me, it was just growing up as an entrepreneur. My dad was also an, a trained. So our normal dinnertime conversations when I'm 12 years old are about tax planning, company structure, and tax minimization, and optimization topics. Yeah, you know, super love, exciting when you're 12, right? I'll, I'll tell you what, he's always invited over to my house for dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, so going through my entrepreneurial career, had a few different businesses, but in my late 20s, I got to the point where I thought, you know, I need to do something different. Like I, my, from a financial standpoint, I need to do a bit more tax planning and asset protection planning because I had a, a decent size like a uh, company that was doing like upper seven figures, close to eight figures. And then I had some bunch of real estate. I had, I actually owned a restaurant at one point in my late twenties and I thought I got to do something. So I ended up hiring somebody like me back then to do what I do for people now with asset protection and, and planning and street planning for their business and taxes and stuff. And that's actually what got me started on that path is the guy that I met who actually is still a mentor of mine to this day. We still talk every couple of months. Sometimes we collaborate on a client project or something. But at that point in my life, all my friends were entrepreneurs. I didn't really have friends you know, that had normal corporate jobs, everyone I knew and hung out with had their own business. And so that's just how my network evolved. And so I started doing some consulting at that point for helping them, you know, kind of optimize their own situation. So that's been like 20 years ago. And it kind of grew progressively from there. And then I ended up selling a few different businesses. And then I saw business in 2000 seven or eight, I forget. 2007 or eight, I sold a business and I thought, oh, what do I really want to do? And, and I thought, you know, I really love dealing with entrepreneurs. I love the freedom of location independence and I love the clients that I'm working with. I've got a bit of money. I don't really need to like grind for a paycheck every week. And so that's when I kind of officially started doing what I'm doing now. And this is really what I've been doing since like, well, unofficially since years, but officially since about 2008, this is what I've been doing. And so what we do now is like my tagline is uh, tax and residency planning for location independent entrepreneurs. We help people internationalize their business, their wealth and their life. And, you know, a lot of it's tax planning, a lot of it's, you know, optimizing company structure and how to, a lot of it's multi-jurisdictional planning as well. Like right before our call here, I just, I was on the phone Look like this is just a, an example of my everyday. I had a Turkish guy living in Canada with a business partner who is a Turkish guy living in Singapore, and they're, uh, they're wow. software developers developing video games. 
Yeah. And we discussed on how and where to structure their business to optimize it for tax planning and asset protection. There's a, a, a very normal conversation I have like yeah. every day, that type <laughs> of thing. So, I love and those it. things get complicated. Those things Absolutely. get really yeah. complicated, right? You know, like I've got a, a German client with a huge e-commerce business selling primarily in the North American markets and he lives in, in Thailand, you know? So wow. those things get, yeah. those things get complicated. Yeah. So that's basically what I do now. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I want to dive more into that. You know, the pandemic, it's been really interesting. So my wife and I have a short-term rental Airbnb that we run. And, you know, we've had some people here recently, they come through and like, Hey, we can, you know, we can work from wherever we're going to, we're going to live here for a week or two. And, you know, kind of explore, yeah. explore the Asheville area. So we've seen the rise of the digital nomad over the past year. Yeah. And it seems like the pandemic has really opened people's eyes. If, if somebody's listening today and really doesn't know what a digital nomad is, but Bobby, you kind of, can you share more about that? And, you know, it seems like you, you're like one of the original digital nomads. I've been location independent really my whole life. Even when I had yeah. an office, even when I had an office years ago, I mean, actually, technically I have two offices now. I've got one in Arizona and one in the Caribbean. But I don't think I've been to the one in the Caribbean in three or four years. One in Arizona, I've been to once this year. So okay. I don't really go to the office. But before, like I used to have an office, like 20 employees physically. Yeah. In and the joke was when I showed up, like the receptionist would say, like, hi, how may I help you? Like, because I had an office at home. And, you know, my dad would always call me because at yeah. one point my dad was my CFO. When he retired, he became my CFO. Oh, cool. And, yeah. um, Dad would call me, are you going to work today? And I'm like, dad, I'm working. I'm at home working. Yeah, but you can't work when you're at home. You weren't here at the office at 730. And so that was always the thing with him, you know, a bit old school that you've got to be in the yeah. suit and tie yeah. at your desk by 8 a.m., that sort of thing. But digital nomad thing, I personally think started about 15 years ago when Skype was created. Because I remember my first trip to Russia back in, it was a about 2005 or six or something like 2005 or six. And I came home and my cell phone bill was like two grand and I only had a few. Ooh, yeah, phone I remember calls. that. I remember that when it was, yeah, it was ridiculous, you know, stupid um, money, like 10 yeah. bucks a minute or something like that yeah. for my phone bill was like two grand. But then Skype started and people's like, it just dramatically opened up the world for small business people and free. Like if you're a big company, it's not a big deal. You make a 30 minute phone call to, Europe or, or Asia. But if you're a, a freelancer and you've got a client, like let's say you're, um, you know, you do video editing, freelancing, you know, for marketing stuff for people and you've got clients in Asia, what are you going to do? Like you're going to have your phone calls with 10 bucks a minute. No. Yeah. And so Skype to me opened up the world. It was kind of the, the catalyst that opened up the world for global cheap free or cheap communication. And so I think it really started about then. And then I also think Tim Ferriss's book. Four Hour Work Week. Called? Yeah, Four Hour Work Week yeah. was a big 07, catalyst for yeah. a lot of people. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Four Hour Work Week. I mean, these are books that I read and I was like, oh yeah, it kind of puts that imprint in your brain. And being in sales, you know, I was, you know, it's a very entrepreneurial <clears throat> endeavor and I didn't want to be tied down to where I wanted to live. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I remember my first Skype call with my son. I was in Colorado. Right. You know, a cycling event. I was like, this is amazing. You know, mm -hmm. here's a year old and I'm looking at him on the camera. But that type of stuff that opened up the world for small business people, freelancers or small entrepreneurs, solopreneurs yeah. to actually have clients all over the world. It also opened it up that 
you know, like the work week, he talked a lot about kind of do your job remotely and kind of go live your best life in Bali or something like that. Right. Yeah. And, but that was very difficult prior to Skype. And so a lot of things have been up since then. So now you've got digital nomads, a pretty broad term. I mean, it can be anywhere from what we generally call the coconut cowboys, the, the young guys that make $700 a month and decide they want to go live a really cheap life and just party all the time. And they can do that sort of stuff like in cheap places in Thailand and you know Vietnam and other parts of South Asia. But that still falls under the digital nomad category. You've got freelancers, you've got solopreneurs, you've got people run really big businesses that just have built you know, remote teams. You got people that have remote jobs now. I mean, my God, yeah. I think, was it like a month ago, General Motors announced all their office workers are fully remote. They sent 30,000 people home. And you've got some Amazing. of the yeah. huge stalwarts of industry sending all their office people home, like clearly remote work trend, right? Like, oh, yeah. On. What's interesting is Apple, I don't know if you saw this here, it might have been this morning. But Tim Cook said, hey, you got to come back in the office three, I think it's like three days a week. And the Apple employees revolted against him. I they wouldn't said, surprise me. Uh-uh. They said, no, no, like you can't make us do this. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. One of the other interesting things I've seen here, Bobby, love to get your, uh, your thoughts on this. I've seen a business where you can go live on a cruise ship if you're, you know, as you said, digital nomads. Kind world of broad, cruise. Yeah. Is that what it's, it's called, called? World cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, you know, tell, tell us more about that. There was a guy down in Panama who parked a ship, in the, but he got shut, actually. Oh, okay. I think that's the story I read. That's the one you read, probably. Um, he yeah. actually bought a ship or was working on buying a ship, and they were parking it in the port in Panama City. Yeah. And it was not going to move. It was going to be parked, and people could buy their cabins or yep. multiple cabins and live. Actually got yeah. shut down. Um, I've talked to that guy. He got shut down because insurance. He couldn't find an insurance company that it would insure the project because they didn't know what to do with it. It's like housing. They knew how to insure a house, but they don't know how to insure a boat that doesn't move, right? So yeah, that one got shut down. But there is world cruise. Like People live on cruise ships. Yeah. They do 12-month cruises. You, you actually buy your cabin or you can rent it also. Yeah. Um, and you can get on and off wherever the ship docks at a port. So like you could get off the boat in Barcelona yeah. and decide, okay, I'm going to stay in Barcelona for a month. And then let's say the next port is, I don't know, somewhere in Asia. You get on yeah. a plane and fly to that port and then you get back, back on, on the, the boat, boat again. Yeah, That's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, as our kids get a little bit older here, you know, they'll be graduating in the next decade. I'm starting to talk to my wife about some of these different concepts and it's interesting to think about what's possible. I did a cruise uh, about a year and a half ago called Nomad's. So it's a cruise just for digital nomads. It was a two-week yeah. cruise that went from Barcelona to Barcelona, Spain to Recife in Brazil. So it was a one-way yeah. one cruise for about two yeah. weeks. I did that. It was a pretty cool event. Johannes is the guy who runs that thing. Yeah. And I did a, a, a keynote presentation on the cruise for this type of stuff, for the yeah. tax and residency planning. And yeah. it was a great, great event. It was super fun. Of course, they killed it shortly after that. But uh, Johanna said they're, they're relaunching it. I think January or February 2022, they're going to do another one. Um, oh, awesome. So yeah. that'd be kind of fun if you're interested. And it's a cool event with cool people. So that's a nice thing. But Digital Nomads is, is definitely a, a growing 
trend that technology has made available to us. And I, I joke, we actually wrote an article about this last year on our blog, and uh, I got so much heat for this, but I loved it. It was um, basically, I said, uh, COVID was the best thing to happen for humanity because basically what happened during COVID is from a worker perspective, got sent home or not, but a lot of people got sent home. If you were able to work remotely, they did it, right? Yeah. And so what happened then is it exposed people to the idea that, why am I commuting an hour to work every day? Why am I even doing that? Yeah. And things like this commute two hours every day, like this wasted time sitting in the car. Why would I not just work from home and then take a long lunch break, lunch with my kids or, or go to the gym and exercise or, you know, maybe cut my work time down a little bit and have a side hustle where I make some extra money, you know? And they realized like actually working from home, a lot of people realized Eight hour workday really only has about four hours of work in it. That's right. And I think I think that we probably have three to four hours of concentrated, you know, mental energy every day anyway. And that's yeah. that seems to be, I mean, it it's all these studies that come out, it seems to be that. I mean, my my wife and I, we get up at five o'clock, we work for a couple hours, get the kids, you know, going, doing their thing. We work for a little bit more, work out. And I mean, we we're we're as productive as we want to be. And it's, you know, certainly, you know, this is an N equal one study here, but it certainly works in our case. So, you know, I agree. It's like people have seen, seen the light, right? It's like, what am I doing? Why, why am I living in the Northeast? I have a coaching client. Uh, he lives in New York and he's taking a, taking a promotion with a different company and it's 100%, 100% virtual. So he can work wherever he wants. And he's talking about moving to the Carolinas. He's like, why would I live in a high tax state with this crappy Absolutely. weather? When I can live in a, a low tax state with with great weather, you know, live at the beach. I'll, t- I'll take you. I'll take it a step further. Why not? Just I want to hear it. Mex- take it a step further and go live on the beach in Mexico, where yeah. the cost of living is a third what it is in North Carolina, with a very high quality. Life. And essentially, you can make depend on the, your tax situation and how you earn your income, but you can make at least one hundred fifty thousand dollars tax free living in Mexico. One hundred fifty thousand dollars tax free. So Mexico as an American, I'm as an speaking American. about American convention, gotcha. the guy from yeah. New York, if you're an American citizen and you live abroad and you meet the, the requirement of the foreign earned income exclusion, you get about 110,000 in tax-free income plus about 40,000 in a housing. So about, about 150,000 you can earn tax-free. There's other things you can do if you make more, but it's yeah. really simple to do the foreign income exclusion and earn about 150. Tax free. So I would say for your coaching client, I would skip all the way past North Carolina and go to Mexico. Just keep flying. <laughs> yeah. I love I'd keep it. going. Yeah. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty here a little bit, Bobby. I think that's a good transition. So, Mexico, what are some other countries around the world that, that are favorites of yours right now? As far as, you know, if you're, if you're an American, you know, most of our listeners are in America. We have some in Canada, a couple international, you know, that pop up. If you're listening, what are some of your favorite countries around the world to check out right now? You know, I mean, it's tough right now because you got so many countries with so many COVID restrictions. It makes it makes it complicated. Got it. Okay, I mean, so wait, not, kind of push a, those aside a little bit. Well, so like for example, what I'm saying in the West Hemisphere, you know, the yeah. Americas. If you go south of the U.S., yep, the only, the only two countries I would consider living in 
outside of the Caribbean, I'm excluding the Caribbean here, but outside of the Caribbean, okay. the only two countries I consider living in are Mexico and Brazil because their behavior during this COVID situation in most of those countries has been atrocious. Like, Pan- like Panama, great. for example, you could only go outside for months and months. You could only go outside for two hours a day, two days a week, four hours a week. It's you insane. could physically be outside of your home. Like, yeah. So I'm going to stay inside where COVID transmission rates are, are sky high, basically exclusively in, indoors. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't worry. The U.S. is, the US is not uh, immune from stupidity too, right? Last year, like, <laughs> they closed the national parks. I did a, my wife and I did an RV trip last year for a few weeks in the States. And ironically, almost all of your states had their state parks open. But federally, the national parks were closed because apparently COVID only appears on federal-owned property, not state property, right? Because what's better than sitting inside and breathing COVID air, I guess, than going outside and going hiking in a national park? Oh, there's so many many idiotic things that occurred. Um, Yeah, our kids went back to school, but not on Wednesdays. I guess that's the only day COVID got transmitted. Well, COVID I just, on Wednesdays, I heard. It just, it's, it's, it's a bad day. It's hump day. Yeah, COVID, it's a little... COVID's bad after like 11 p.m. too, apparently, because <laughs> a lot of people have that 11 p.m. curfew now, so COVID gets terrible. Uh, yeah, so, well, I think we could, we could spend a whole show um, <laughs> yeah. panning the responses to COVID here, especially in retrospect. And, um, Absolutely. But I, I think you make a great point. I think, like, again, to your point, you know, COVID really shed light on the way countries, the way businesses, absolutely weaknesses. Um, You look at schools now, I was reading an article here this past week, um, school attendance in the county is down 1,500 students, and the county is now concerned about getting funds, federal funds for schooling. And my my first thought was, where where do those students go? And my belief is that a lot of them went to private schools that stayed open and took different approaches to this situation. So, you know, it's interesting to see the way these behaviors have occurred. So Mexico, Brazil, and South America. South of the U.S., excluding Caribbean. I would only consider Mexico and Brazil because every other country had an unbelievably ridiculous, different in different ways. But those are the only two that had a type of semblance of rationality in their in their behavior, their response to COVID. Like. Was terrible. Like a lot of people, especially digital nomads, they talk about Colombia. I love Colombia. Yeah. You know, Medellin's great. I, I mean, I've I've lived in Medellin. I used to have property there, and Bogota's a cool city. But my God, Colombia's response to COVID was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Curfews. If you had a job, you had to have a permit to go to that job, and not only a permit to go to the job, but a permit on how you got to the job. Wow. Like actually wow. the path you took to get there. Like, and you, if you strayed off your path, you could get fined or whatever. I mean, just some craziness. So this side, I would like the, some parts of the U S have been reasonable. Some mm-hmm. parts not. So some parts of the U S could be okay. Yeah, some so parts, me, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll take the handcuffs off. Yeah. What, what are your favorite places in the country with respect to responses and you know future you know as far as you look at like say the next uh, 20 years in the u.s in the u.s yeah well i mean i, I think the clear trend is getting a- away from big cities so la new york i mean new york's a ghost town yeah. now oh yeah right? it's insane yeah um 
So any of your big cities, I would I would avoid countryside. Yeah, there are places. I believe it or not, like Arkansas, I think is really interesting. It's very rural, but they've yeah. got a lot of nice, beautiful nature, mountains. Oh, yeah. It's really nice. If you don't mind the dry heat, I think Arizona is a great option because their beer was quite good. And Arkansas, I'll rewind. I think some of their beer was pretty stupid. However. It's countryside, and so the people in the countryside didn't actually care or listen. Right, right, sure. They yeah. just lived their lives however they wanted anyway. Yeah. But the regulators in Arkansas don't think we're very intelligent about how they reacted. But how, how about Montana? We spent we spent quite a bit of time out in Montana here over the past few years. Yeah, Mon- Montana's cool. Uh, it's very remote, of course. Like yeah. if you're very if you're happy being very remote and away from everything. I think good, and you can get some ridiculously cheap property. Yeah, uh, in Montana. Also, yeah, yeah. Florida. I mean, Florida. I think one of the better states on their reaction, their their behavior. Texas is okay. North Carolina, I would say, depending on where you are in North Carolina, where I'm at right now, Greensboro, people were idiots. People were idiots here, like. But then, so I think Asheville was probably much better than the Greensboro area. I think Asheville reasonably well. I was in Asheville, actually, one of our RV trips in the past year. We spent some time in oh, Asheville. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if, it was, if it were me and I was going to live in the States, which I'm not interested in, but right. if I were, I would pick something work-wise. Just make sure you have a location-independent source. You've got good internet. And then... Pick something with a decent-sized piece of land. I mean, no need to go thousand-acre yeah. ranch in Wyoming or anything like that, but a couple acres of land maybe and kind of have your own space and kind of what you want. Yeah, that would I love be that. kind of my, yeah. my reaction to it. I hear you loud and clear. Europe, I would say for the most part, at least in the European Union, the EU part of Europe, I would probably just stay away. Their reactions and behavior has been crazy. Now, the non-EU part of Europe, like Albania, Montenegro, Croatia, well, Croatia is technically EU, but not Schengen zone. Bulgaria, which is also EU, not Schengen. Uh, basically, in that kind of Balkan area of yeah. Europe, I think they did, they were pretty good. I think they did a good job overall, especially comparatively to, let's say, the uh, Schengen part of Europe. You know what I mean by Schengen oh. zone? Go ahead and define it for the audience, please. That'd be great. Well, so in Europe, you have, which, you know, like technically even like the UK is part of Europe, for example, but now mm-hmm. it's not in the EU and it's not in the Schengen zone. So these are treaties, actually. So there are 27 countries in the EU, but there's only 19 that are in the Schengen zone. So, for example, Croatia is in the EU, Bulgaria is in the EU, but they're not in the Schengen zone. Most of the silly restrictions were Schengen zone. So there are 19 yeah. countries. And this is pretty much all of your Western Europe, the Baltic states, that kind of area. Yeah, I hear you loud and clear. So, Bobby, global wealth protection, you talked a little bit about why you founded it, kind of how you led there, the path that led you there. So let, let's talk about more about what you do. So you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I reach out to you. I say, hey, Bobby, I'm mobile. I do this. I have a business. I have some assets. Walk us through what your company does, how you help, how you help entrepreneurs, how you help individuals, um, and what okay. you do specifically. 
Yeah. So like we have a membership program, GWP Insiders, where members can join. Then we have a lot of content in there about different internationalization strategies, tax planning, trust, like using offshore trust and private interest foundations, company structure, how to optimize structures. We have information in there about second passports, second residencies, second citizenship, foreign real estate, some crypto related stuff in there. And so it's a membership program with content. But the big thing for the membership is my members get 30 minute consultations where we can actually go one on one and dig into your situation. And because everybody's situation is completely different. And then also they get discounts on our other services like company formation, trust administration. We do one big event a year and then one mastermind a year. So they have the opportunity to join us if they, if they want to participate in those events. Are those, so are those live or virtual? Live. We don't do virtual awesome. events. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Where are your not, events going to be this year? So we just did our big event in Puerto Vallarta in February. Yeah. We've our mastermind event coming up. Uh, in Plato Carmen, Mexico. It's the end of August. It's, I think we have a couple of seats left. We got a, I got a bunch of people that say they want to come, but they're not pulling the trigger on it. So at this moment, we still have a couple of seats left for mine. And our mastermind's small. It's only 20 people, max 20. And it is a very, it's a five-day event, very hands-on. There's no like prepared presentations. We come, the mastermind kind of develops based on the attendees there. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I think it's fantastic. I've, I've done masterminds like, well, one of our friends, Craig Ballantyne, you know, yep. I loved how he kind of customizes it to the attendees. It's, it's just wonderful when you do it that way. So we, the way we do ours, basically over the course of four days, technically six days, but you have to arrive the day before and leave the day after. So it's four sure, days yeah. in the middle. But during the four days, I'm very, very, very adamant about developing bonds and relationships with people. And so who are the people that you have your best relationships with? They're not the people that you just have an, a beer after work with once in a while. They're the people that you have a bonding moment with, like you have, yeah. you went skydiving with, or you had a crazy yeah. motorcycle trip with, or you- yeah, Down the you Grand know, Canyon. We got it, my buddies Grand and I, Canyon three years trip. later. Yeah, we still text each other still stupid talk stuff about every it. day. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And yeah. that's the kind of thing, what we do, it was half our day is a mastermind and half our day are adventure excursions. Love it. Love it. So yeah, we do like doing one thing. We're swimming with whale sharks. It's just one of the, one of our excursions we're doing. So we, super cool. We don't only sit around talking about business all the time. Like we're, yeah. we're also developing life, lifetime relationships. We've been doing this for like 15 years. So not the mastermind part, but the event, the bigger event we've been doing for about 15 years. So. But basically, that kind of hands-on, to get back to your original question, hands-on, what do we do? It, it depends on each person's situation. You might come to me and say, I got a location-independent business, and my goal is anonymity. You know, maybe you sell uh, CBD products, and so you want anonymity with your, your business. You don't want people connect. So we can restructure your business to kind of take your name off of everything. Maybe you come to me and say, look, like German, I, I'm, I'm a German guy with an e-commerce business in North America, and I live in whatever I said before, Thailand, I think. I optimize that. Do I pay tax in Germany, the US, Thailand? How do I uh, structure that? And so we come up with the strategy to 
a multi-jurisdictional approach normally to uh, figure that stuff out. Yeah, as the world becomes globalized, the freedom increases, and also you know, you see kind of confiscatory tax rates in some of these in some of these areas. This is this the the service you provide is tremendously valuable. So you mentioned Global Wealth Insiders. Your website's globalwealthprotection.com. And yeah. I know you got a free training. So if people want to want to get that, what's the best way to check that out, get a hold of you, learn more about what you do, Bobby? Yeah, globalwealthprotection.com. We've got a bunch of videos on there, a bunch of um, bunch of blogs and stuff like that. And I will tell you, Bobby's been very entertaining today, but I've listened to several of his blogs, read or read some of his blogs, listened to some of his podcasts <laughs> that he's been on. And if you enjoy what you heard today, listen to check out globalwealthprotection.com. Uh, get his free training and also listen to some of his other interviews because he is a wealth of information, but also highly entertaining, if you ask me. And Bobby, well, I really appreciate you joining us today. You, if you think that's entertaining, you should send me a friend request on Facebook. This is like, <laughs> like my hobby. My, my, my hobby is antagonistic uh, posts and memes on, on Facebook. Just kind of a, 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 you, an emotional mental release. You got, you got it. So you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you were quite successful kind of in your late 20s, Bobby. If you go back to your 25-year-old self and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? I was going to give my 25-year-old self a piece of advice. Keep an open mind and don't accept what's handed to you or, or given to you as information. Don't accept it as status quo. Just always question, right. always think for yourself, always keep an open mind. And I bring that up. That really is advice I would give my 25-year-old self. Because in my right. 20s, I think I was pretty minded. And I just some, had some stupid ideas and some stupid thoughts. And I look back now and I'm like, Ugh, you're an idiot. You know, like, yeah, like a lot of us as we get older, right? When you're 20, you think you're the smartest thing in the world, right? That 15-year-old self was an idiot, right? And right. then when you're 30, <laughs> the 20-year-old self was an idiot, but the 30-year-old self is a genius. Brilliant. Yeah. The, the only thing I can say in my 40s, I realized that my 30-year-old or 25-year-old self is an idiot, but I also realized my 47-year-old self is very often an idiot. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this it. This is Actually, my open-mindedness, yeah. right? This is my open-mindedness coming into play that I'm thinking like, a 25-year-old self was dumb, but you know what? I'm pretty dumb now too sometimes. You know what? It's, I think it's great. You know, you, and, and I think it also allows you to have a little more fun with life, take yourself less seriously. I Absolutely. gave my boys that, that same advice here recently. I said, listen, guys, you know, don't trust the government. Don't trust your teachers. Don't trust the news. You know, we were kind of talking about a, a news, something that was on the news that, you know, was coming out there. And even like the Tom Brady deflate gate, you know, my son, I was like, hey, where'd you hear that from? We were talking about that. Whether you like Tom Brady or not like Tom Brady, I don't care. But I told him, I said, even me, son, don't trust me, but figure it out for yourself and do that. So I love that advice, Bobby. Um, I told my so, kids the same thing. The yeah. number one thing I could teach my kids is to don't, is to question everything, even me. Question everything. That's right. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to leave it at that because I think that's phenomenal. And I, I look forward to having more conversations with you, Bobby. Again, globalwealthprotection.com. We'll have all the links up on the show notes here today. And you can check Bobby Casey out, globalwealthprotection.com. Thanks for having me, Chris. Take care. Thank you, sir. Hey, Chris here again. I hope you found this episode valuable. Now, I have one more thing to gift you. We have a page for my coaching clients where you can get a free copy of my book, as well as much more from previous guests on the show. Just check out nextlevelincome.com 
slash coaching to get a free copy of my book, audiobook, and much more. I'll send you a copy of my book and cover all the shipping costs as a thank you for listening to the podcast. Also, please like, share, and take just 90 seconds to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.